Shouldn't be too hard. Find somebody. Tell them good morning. Whose power cannot be shaken? Whose breath gives us life? Whose death can set the captive free? His name will stand forever, lifted high for all to see. Jesus, our God, our Lord, our King. Oh, and brighter than a million stars His love is shining, calling every broken heart Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting And freedom from the dark He is brighter than a million stars Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting, and freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. And His love is shining over you. everybody this morning. Can you hear me okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to take a few minutes. I, I first want to talk about next Sunday. Next Sunday is the 24th, and we've been mentioning that we were going to have a lot of our mostly local uh, ministries and missionaries are going to be here, and we're going to have that whole front set up out there. We're going to have a special speaker on Sunday. There will be no Bible study next week, so we would really appreciate it if everybody would come and really spend some time. They're going to be set up and ready to go by 9 o'clock in the morning, so it would be great if everybody come by, visit with them, see what their needs are, uh, just get to know them, because, uh, you're, and you're going to know a lot of them already. So again, we would really appreciate it if y'all would be here. Uh, first thing, the other thing I want to talk about is, is we're going to have a, uh, a Haiti mission trip planning meeting or information meeting right after the worship uh, is over. It's going to be right over here and it'll be Clay and Yvette. Now I got to tell you right now, we're going to go ahead and have this meeting, but there's a, a real strong travel advisory for Haiti right now. There's a lot of violence going on in the capital. Our missionary Cassidy is there, but she's not in the capital. She's up kind of in the mountains a little bit, so she is safe right now. But we're going to go ahead and do this informational meeting because we are going to make a trip. If we're not able to make it uh, in August this time, last, uh, last part of August, then we'll do it a little bit later. But these countries, they, things can change there in a heartbeat. So we're going to go ahead and do the, do the uh, information meeting and see what we've got, how many people are interested. We will not take a trip 
to Haiti, though, if there is a travel warning still in place at the time, just so everybody knows that. Okay, so today I'm going to introduce a couple that's uh, been, been here for a while now. Uh, Jeremy and Chastity Overby are going to come up. They're going to speak about the Guatemala uh, trip that we take every year. And uh, Jeremy, uh, you know, he's, he is an elder now of the church and has been involved in ministries and mission work for many, many years, as has Chastity. She is actually over our Operation Christmas Child now, and she is also in the mission investment team. So I'm going to let them come up. No, they're right here. You, you know, it, I, I am glad they changed these lights because used to, if you were standing here right now, you'd be sweating. But they're still bright, and you can't hardly see anything up here. So y'all come on up and take a few minutes to talk about Guatemala. Good morning. I'm Chastity Overby, and um, previously, uh, probably a few weeks ago, um, we started discussing Mission Sunday and how we wanted to prepare for that, and Mark asked us if we would come up and talk about our trip to Guatemala, and I was like, sure, we can talk about the, the trip, and then he, then he says, we want you to start from the, the beginning. We want to know how you got connected with Students International Guatemala. Well. That's a, that's a good story, so I'm going to start from the very beginning. I'm going to take you all the way back to January 2015. And so um, it started at Disney World, <laughs> believe it or not. My sister and I took our, our kids to Disney World, and after a few days, the kids were tired. They were cranky. They were ungrateful. And for this wonderful opportunity to have this wonderful vacation, um, Here's this next picture. Yeah. This is where my sister is totally deflated. She is over Disney World. Um, we survived it, but this is where we decided that um, we, we uh, my sister and I were talking, that we, we needed to decide, find something that would help our kids understand how fortunate they were and, and how they could learn to give back instead of take, take, take. And so, uh, just popping off, my sister said, for what we spent here this week, we could go to Guatemala for a month. Okay. And with that statement, um, a spark was ignited. My sister was familiar with Guatemala because she had spent two summers there during her college, um, her college career learning Spanish. And so she always wanted to take us back so that we could see the country that she fell in love with 15 years prior to that. We mentioned our crazy idea to a few people, and immediately they knew of a missionary family in Guatemala that we would need to, to get in contact with and meet up with. Um, Casey Carnley, um, who just happens to be Christina Davis's best friend while they were growing up, told us that Blake and Christina were there and that we needed to get in touch with them. So we started, we did get contact with them, we started messaging back and forth, and we quickly made plans to meet up with them in July. During the first few days of our trip, we met, up, we met with the Davis family, and they took us to their favorite um, restaurant in um, Antigua. It's called Pollo Campero. It's basically a fast food chicken restaurant, but it's good. <laughs> we had a great visit with their family. Um, we made plans to meet, meet up with them again at the end of our trip, um, and they were going to take us to Magdalena, to the community where they serve. So fast forward four weeks, because we did stay a month in Guatemala, 
Um, they picked us up in Antigua again, and we headed up the mountain. We toured the community center and a few sites where they serve. So the community center, this is the community center in Magdalena, or just outside of Magdalena, um, where Students International, their offices are, and this is also uh, the clinic. Um, they told us all about Students International and the work they did there. They, have, um, they told us about their agricultural sites, their uh, medical clinic there, their women's ministry, tutoring, the sports and arts site where they um, just interact with the kids through sports and, and learning art, microfinance where they, um, they partner with the people in the community and give them small loans and teach them how to manage their money and grow their businesses, um, appropriate technologies where they, um, they build stoves and sometimes water filtration systems for the people in the community. They have a special education school um, and they have a child sponsorship program. And so they asked us if we wanted to go on a tour of the small community closest to the community center named El Gordion. And we did, of course. So as we walked down this trail, we were hooked. We knew that um, we wanted to partner with them and um, hopefully be able to, to bring, bring, bring groups and trips to join them in their ministry. So when, when we got home, uh, Blake Davis, who was the uh, director there at the time, and I began a conversation about Students International and how we could plug in. Um, I quickly talked to Robert Grimes and Pastor Mark about putting a trip together. Uh, we all agreed it would be a great trip. Uh, in July of 2016, we took our first team of 10 to Guatemala. Uh, our first trip was filled with lasting experiences. Flight delays, Olympic trials, car sickness, culture shock. Everywhere is uphill both ways. Uh, new extended families, a love for the people, communicating without knowing the language, being flexible, uh, beginning new relation and beginning new relationships. Our team came home and shared their life-changing uh, experiences they had had, and that produced team number two. Uh, in July uh, of 2017, we took 23 people to experience the Guatemala we were rapidly growing to love. This team not only experienced um, change in themselves, but change in SI and the community that they served. Uh, SI staff had grown, uh, the communities they served had increased. This year some of the staff and the people that they served and the community recognized us from the years uh, before. Uh, our third team in July of 2018 was similar, uh, was a smaller team that was wise beyond their years. This team ministered to the staff, listened to them, encouraged them, prayed with them, and pushed themselves uh, physically. They were ready to meet the challenge as long as they had some Guatemalan coffee in them. Uh, now, now we are preparing to take team number four uh, to Guatemala this summer. Uh, I have often been asked why we love Guatemala so much and why we keep going back. Uh, I have thought about it for several years now and I don't have a verbal answer. Um, it is a question that I can only answer by taking people there and showing them why. Uh, we have about eight spots left uh, for our trip this year. It's going to be July the 27th through August the 4th. 
Um, and our next meeting for our trip will be on March the 2nd. So if you have questions or anything and want for more information, you can come find us uh, today or come look for us uh, on March the 2nd. I thought you were going to sing the Guatemalan National Anthem. <laughs> you know, the picture, of, uh, the picture of Disney World is exactly the picture we got at Disney World. When you take your young children there, you're like, I spent a lot of money. You are going to have fun. Until you become smart like Jim and Barbara Haley, and then you go alone without your grandkids. Is that right? You know, for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to explain what this church is. It is a hodgepodge of people who love God, most of us, others of us are searching, but who love God. Uh, he is working in our lives and our families, and we do our own thing, but together. We agree in, as a church on two things. Number one, it's all about Jesus. Number two, the Word of God is our plumb line. Every, everything else, from political views to where we spend our holidays, are very, very different based upon every family, their culture, their history. And that's what makes us a cool place. Uh, we, um, a lot of our families, 50 to 75 a year individuals go on short-term mission trips. Uh, we are, as a church, as we've been saying the last few weeks, and this is why we're doing this mission month, we are a mission-centered church. In other words, we are here to reach people for Jesus, disciple them, that's what we do here, and then go out and tell them. And, and some, some of us, that's here in the community. We, some of us work with organizations. Uh, some of you are Gideons and you hand out Bibles. Some of you work in jails. Some of the people around you work at the Pregnancy Help Center. Uh, all of you or many of you share Christ in your workplace that's who we are as a church. We are not a monolith of thought. We agree on two things. It's all about Jesus and the Word of God is final authority. And uh, to listen to that testimony, I loved it. I hadn't realized that you were called to the mission field from Disney World. And it's probably cheaper. Uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know, that actually was her sister who doesn't attend here, who is not happy because this is going to be on the Internet. We're going <laughs> to... You got permission. <laughs> there, when we were at Disney World... Uh, it was about 10.30 in the morning, and my kids decided they wanted to go back to the very inexpensive hotel to swim in the pool. And I hadn't been, I hadn't been on, um, uh, it, was the, it, it was one of the roller coasters, and I said, oh, oh, no, we're going on the roller coaster. And Julie said, Mark, don't make a scene. We're going on the, on the roller coaster. It was demonic. It came out of my voice. And I stood alone in the 45-minute line. I went through the ride. I got off. And Julie said, so how was it? And like Clark W. Griswold, it was great. <laughs> Man, what a, what a cool thing. So this summer, we have three trips. We have a Brazil trip. We have a Guatemala trip. And we are in the planning stages of doing one to Haiti. Pray about going. Uh, somebody last week, though, said something to me I hadn't thought about, so I have to say this to you. Look, I want everybody to go. We want everybody to go. But some of you simply are not called, and you should not feel guilty about that. That's, that's, it's not your calling. The worst thing in the world, you can ask the leaders. If you go and you're not called, you are nothing but a thorn. We want you to go. It changes your world. But some of you, I, I had somebody actually last week after the services, I feel kind of guilty, you know, I'll, I mean, giving seems kind of like a cheap out. Let me be clear. Giving is a significant part of what makes these things happen. It, it does. And, and I, I understand that you've been in the church your whole life, but, you know, 
money allows us to do the things that we do, and I want to remind you. So some of you are not called to go, but boy, you can support and you can encourage. And in a moment, we're going to have our offering, and that's how you do that. Let me be clear that without giving, we don't support missionaries. Without giving, we got a, we got a group of about 60 kids right now at preteen camp, and they're coming back early afternoon. They're being discipled. They're being discipled. Stuff, spiritual stuff is happening. Very, very few things we do are just social events. Most of what we do is intentional discipleship, and that's possible because of you. Uh, and we put them on our, and, and if you're not, I, look, I, I have a love-hate relationship with, with Facebook. I'm hating it more than I love it anymore. Um, but having said that, we have a Facebook page, and we throw stuff on there so you can be praying. We put, the, we put pictures of camps and what's going on. So I encourage you, if you have a Facebook account, to like ours so that you can get these things and pray. Our staff are tired right now. They're having their final meeting. They're counting down the hours to get in the vans and come home. But the ride home is very significant. So please be praying about all of these things and, and all of these events. But I do not want you feeling shame or guilt if God is not calling you to go on a mission trip. You can still be actively involved by supporting those who go. And uh, um, so, man, thank you guys. Great job. Uh, next Sunday, um, I grew up in the church, and I know when you hear it's a mission Sunday, a lot of times you just kind of recoil and go, oh, that's a good, good week to sleep in. It's not. It's going to be so good next week. Uh, and I'm offended a little bit that Robert calls our guest speaker next week a, a special because I think every Sunday's messages are special. But I know my, I'm, I'm wounded. I'm a little wounded. But... Uh, but next Sunday is going to be so important. We're going to fill that with, like he said, missionary tables. And you're going to have an opportunity to see what God is doing globally through us and partnering with. We are not having a special offering next week. We're going to do our normal offering because you are already giving to these missions. You are already doing that. So keep doing it. Thank you very much. If you watch online, it would be a great Sunday for you to join us. Uh, I know we have, we actually have a decent sized congregation out there on the internet. We have about 25 average computers log in every week and watch us live. We watch you hide from us. We know you're hiding. We're going to come find you. I'm just kidding. We won't. But we would love for you to come visit us and uh, so we can shake your hand and hug your neck. And that's why some of you don't come. Just wear a shirt that says, I don't hug. I know how that is. Uh, so I'm going to ask at this time, um, our ushers to come forward. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. Lots of really cool stuff in the worship guide, so please take five minutes and review it. Um, uh, we have a Carpenter's Way membership class coming up in April, int information in there. If you've been visiting and I haven't had a chance to shake your hand after service, I'll be up here and I'd love to meet you. Um, I do want to say one more thing, and this is on a personal note. Last week, or this morning, Zach started his new ministry at Fellowship Church, and we're very excited for him. But I got to tell you, I got so many texts and emails, and Zach did too, and so did Julie from you guys. Um, Zach grew up here. You helped us raise that boy, and he's going into full-time ministry. And you were so, you had, I, I don't, from what your texts say, you were watching me, not him, preach last week. And uh, I don't, I, I know this sounds weird, but thank you for loving us. I mean it. As a pastor, you guys really, really care for us and our kids and... Um, that is hard to tell you how much it means. Um, so thank you, and, and we love you back, and we love being here. And I am blown away at you, just what God is doing in your lives, to hear how you're learning. Uh, we're in a series right now asking, who is Jesus? And you're asking the right questions. And, and just to be clear, you're not going to get all the answers. It's supposed to be perplexing to some degree. When was the last time you actually looked at Jesus and went, 
Who is this guy? That's what the disciples said, and that's what we're doing right now. Thank you for letting Julie and I, because we have no more kids in this church, be a part of that. We love being here, and I mean that. We love being here. You make this very, very special. Uh, and what a cool thing for a pastor to say and to really feel. Um, so thanks, you guys, for all of that. And uh, now, now we're going to take an offering, and as the plate comes by, if this is not your church home, just pass the plate. We don't want you distracted. If this is your church home, this is what we do. This is how we support missions. This is how we support Carpenter's Way. So participate. If it's a dollar, participate because it's part of our worship. So let's commit our service to the Lord, and, uh, and uh, let's get here. Let's do what we came here to do. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for all of those children right now who just spent the last 72 hours learning about you, about what it means to be in your family, to be surrendered to you, to voluntarily give their lives to you. I thank you for the staff that are tired, that are going to go to work tired tomorrow, but would spend their weekend serving you with children, Father. Lord, it's, it gets tiring raising our own kids, but then sleeping in a dorm with 25 kids that aren't yours, wow. So we ask for strength. We ask for safety on the way home. We ask for, uh, for life change that isn't temporary. Father, I ask for, uh, I thank you for the overbees, all of them, the kids as well who have spent the last few years of their lives serving you in Guatemala, spending summers there. We pray you'd bless them. I pray that you would raise up a great team for Brazil and Guatemala and Haiti this summer if you would have us go there. And Father, we, we pray for our missionaries this morning that you would bless them and let them know that they are loved and prayed for and encouraged. I pray this morning for those that are watching on the internet, Lord Jesus, I, your Holy Spirit isn't limited to a building, so speak to their hearts and encourage them. And for those that can't be with us, for those that are here in this room, for those that are traveling, God, thank you that you're our God in and out of service. And uh, teach us a little bit more about you this morning. We commit our service to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. with us, you're more than welcome. Once a sinner, now I'm clean. Once condemned, now I'm made free. He turned my darkness into light. in ashes there's beauty once in pieces I'm complete my redeemer now resides he lives in me
to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. to me. 
valleys rise and mountains bow before you. The earth and heavens tremble when you speak, for you are holy. You are holy, Lord Almighty, God, you reign worthy, none more
to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily
פרק אחד בתוך הספר הזה, שבעצם היו מכירים אותו בבתי הכנסת בעבר, ואז הרבנים החליטו להוציא את זה מההפטרה. היום זה נחשב הפרק האסור. האם שמעת על זה עוד פעם? האם את רוצה לראות מה נסתר בפרק הזה? יש לך את זה? יש לי פה בתנ"ך. צריך לדעת כמה שזה עוזר, האמת בעצם בגלל זה אנחנו עושים את התוכנית הזאת, כי רוב האנשים לא קראו את הפרק הזה בכלל, כי לא, לא קוראים את זה עוד בבתי הכנסת. הפרק הוא ישעיהו נ"ג, נבואה מאוד חשובה על מי המשיח יהיה, ולמשך 1,700 שנים, מאז שהוא כתב את זה, כמעט כל הרבנים וחז"ל האמינו שזה פרק שמדבר על המשיח. בעצם גם בתלמוד, בסנהדרין צד נדחת, גם ילקוט שמעוני, הזוהר, הרמב״ם, האמינו שהפרק הזה מדבר על המשיח. אז עכשיו אנחנו מגיעים לקטע הכי כיפי, שאנחנו נקרא כמה קטעים מאותו פרק ונראה על מה זה מדבר. זה וחדל אישים, איש מחרובות וידוע חולי, וכמסתר פנים ממנו נבזה ולא חשבנו הוא. הוא היה בזוי ודחוי על ידי בני אדם, איש שידע כאבים ומחלות, הוא היה כמו אדם שמסתירים ממנו את הפנים, בזוי וחסר ערך בעיניים. שזה מדבר העניין הזה על, על המשיח. חזק מאוד. אדם שכמו שכתוב בזוי ודחוי על ידי החברה. העם שלנו היה משוכנע שהוא שלילי. לא יודע למה. לא קיבלו אותו. דחו אותו. לא חשבנו שהוא היה המשיח. כל אויינו הוא נשא ומכאובנו סבליו. ואנחנו חשבנו הוא נגוע. הוא כאלוהים מעונה. לכן הוא נשא את המחלות שלנו, סבל את הכאבים שלנו, ואנחנו התייחסנו אליו כמו אל חולה במחלה קשה, שאלוהים גרם לו להיות מושפל ומעונה. הוא לקח את כל הכאב, את כל הסבל ואת כל המחלות עליו. ובכל זאת, אנו דחו אותו. הוא עשה לנו טוב ובעצם נתנו לו רע בחזרה. הוא סובל בגללנו, בגלל כל ה... בעצם העבירות שאנחנו עושים, אז הוא סובל את הכאב הזה. הוא נתן לנו מעצמו, הוא סבל בשבילנו, הוא לקח את המחלות שלנו, את כל החטאים שלנו. מעוצר וממשפט, לוקח את דורו, מי ישוחח, כי נגזר מארץ חיים, מפשע עמי, נגע למו. וייתן את רשעים קברו, ואת עשיר במותיו, הלא חמס עשה, ולא מרמה בפיו. בפסוק 12 כתוב, תחת אשר הארע למוות נפשו. מה התוצאה של הסבל שלו בסופו של דבר? הוא מת. הוא ימות. עם עשירים. איזה כיף. אני גם רוצה. אז קיצר האשימו אותו על דברים שהוא לא עשה, וקיבל על זה. מעניין. הוא מת, אבל לא מוות עם כבוד. קודם כל, האם זה משהו ששמעת על המשיח, שכל הדברים האלה אמורים לקרות לו? לא. זה לא. יש גם את התיאור הזה, לא רק בפסוקים אלה, אבל גם בזכריה, בדניאל, במקומות אחרים. וגם הרבנים העתיקים הבינו שהמשיח אמור לסבול. והוא מחולל מפשענו, מדוכא מעוונותינו, מוסר שלומנו עליו, ובחבורתו נרפא לנו. 
כולנו כצאן טעינו, איש לדרכו פנינו, והשם הפגיע בו את עוון כולנו. אבל הוא נפצע בגלל הפשעים שלנו, בגלל החטאים שלנו, הוא שפל, נענש כדי שלנו יהיה שלום, בזכות הפצע שלו נרפנו. כולנו עבדנו כמו צאן, כל אחד מאיתנו פנה לדרכו, אבל אדוני הטיל את האחריות על החטאים של כולנו. הבנתי, על פי הפסוקים, כאילו, הוא, הוא יספוג את החולי והרוע שלנו, וזה ירפא אותנו, והוא בעצם יהיה בן אדם שנענש, שהוא ייקח על עצמו את כל ה... אוקיי. הוא ייקח את כל העוונות שלנו, ואת כל, כל המכאובים, ואת כל מה שעברנו. הוא, הוא לקח על עצמו את הכל. שכל החטאים, וכל הדברים הרעים, וכל העונש הכבד, אלוהים... כאילו הכניס את זה באדם אחד. אז על כל אחד מאיתנו לשאול, האם יש בי חטא? האם אי פעם גנבת משהו? אפילו משהו קטן, או משהו להוריד משהו מהאינטרנט, שלא שייך לך? מי לא? למשל, האם אי פעם שיקרת? כן. בוודאי, כל אחד משקר. גם אני, אני לא זכאי בזה. האם אי פעם חמדת? כן. ברור, אני חוטא גדול. וגם לפי התנ״ך, כל המחשבות וגישות הרעות שלנו, כמו אנוכיות או הגאווה או כל הדברים כאלה, הם גם נחשבים לחטא. אז אם למשל אנחנו היינו מקרינים כל המחשבות שלך על מסך, וכולם שמכיר אותך היו רואים אותם, היית רואה רק מחשבות טובות שם, או גם כמה לא טובות? גם וגם, גם וגם. כן. קודם כל, ברור שתראה גם מחשבות לא טובות. אז כל האנשים, גם הצדיק שבצדיקים, יהיה להם מחשבות רעות בראש. אבל היו לפעמים מחשבות שהייתי אומרת, אם היא הייתה נעלמת זה היה טוב. אלוהים הוא קדוש וטהור לגמרי, והוא לא יכול להיות בנוכחות של חטא. אז זה בעצם, החטא שלנו מפריד אותנו ממנו, ומגיע לנו בסופו של דבר גם עונש. כתוב ביחזקאל ה-18, פסוק 4, שהעונש שמגיע לנו זה מוות. בסופו של דבר, הפרדה מאלוהים לנצח. אז בסוף אתה חושב שאתה צריך סליחה וכפרה על החטאים שלך, או לא? כן, מאה אחוז. גם אני, גם כולם בעצם, אין מישהו שלא. אבל יש גם חדשות טובות. כי אלוהים הוא לא רק שופט, הוא גם אבא שאוהב אותנו. ולכן הוא נתן בתורה את המערכת הקורבנות. הקורבן היה לוקח על עצמו את החטאים של אותו בן אדם. כתוב שהקורבנות יפסקו. ושבמקום הקורבנות שהיו, אלוהים ישלח בן אדם שיקרא המשיח. שיקח על עצמו את כל החטאים. בדיוק, וזה מה שקראנו עכשיו. אלוהים נתן לנו בתנ״ך תיאור מאוד ספציפית של מי, מי המשיח יהיה כדי שנזהה אותו ולא נפספס אותו. וכמובן זה מאוד קריטי שנדע מיהו הבן אדם הזה, כי בלעדיו... אין לנו את הכפרה והסליחה כדי שהוא ייקח את החטאים שלנו. כתוב בדניאל פרק ט' שהוא חייב לבוא לפני חורבן בית המקדש השני. אז בעצם זה היה בשבעים לספירה. אז המשיח היה חייב לבוא לפני זה, לפי התנ״ך. כתוב גם במיכה ה' שהמשיח הזה ייוולד בבית לחם. וגם כתוב בישעיהו, מה שקראנו עכשיו, ישעיהו נ"ג, שהעם שלנו נדחה אותו בהתחלה, ושהוא יסבול וימות. וכתוב בפסוקים אחרי זה, אחרי שהוא ימות, הוא יקום אה, אה, לתחייה, ו, ואז כתוב שגויים רבים יקבלו אה, אותו, ו, והם יכירו את אלוהי ישראל בגללו. אז עכשיו, מהתיאורים הללו, מהתנ״ך, יש מישהו בהיסטוריה שהגשים את הדברים האלה? אני לא יודעת. לא, מי לא ידוע? לך ידוע? יש מישהו שהגשים את זה? לא. 
לא שאני חושב, יכול להיות שיש ותגיד לי עכשיו, אני אגיד לא, כן, אבל עכשיו לא עולה לי לראש. ישו. שמע, שוב אני חייב להזכיר שאני לא מאמין בזה בכלל, אבל לפי הסיפורים וכל מה ששמעתי, כן, זה מתאים לישוע. עשו ממנו איש קטן לאיש גדול, שהוא בעצם כן עשה מעשים טובים, והוציאו אותו בדיוק ההפך. תראה, אני מאמין שישוע... שבא לפני חורבן בית המקדש, שהוא הגשים את אלה בדיוק. הוא בא לפני שבעים לספירה, הוא נולד בבית לחם, שהעם שלנו דחה אותו, הוא סבל ומת, אבל הוא קם לתחייה. היו חמש מאות אנשים יהודים שראו אותו חי אחרי שהוא מת, והם כתבו עליו, וגם כמובן הגויים קיבלו אותו אפילו במיליארדים, והמשיח אמר, אני אקח את זה על עצמי, אני, כל הסבל והעונש שהיה מגיע לכם. אני אקח את זה uh, על עצמי. אבל כדי לקבל את זה, אנחנו חייבים לעשות מה שהיו עושים אז. מתוודים על החטאים, מצטערים עליהם, להתחייב לא לעשות אותם עוד, וגם להאמין ולהעביר את החטאים שלנו uh, עליו. רק אם אנחנו נאמין באותו משיח ו- ונקבל אותו, אז... אז הוא יקבל את כל, כל החטא שלנו uh, על עצמו. לא נראה לי ששמעתי את הדברים האלה בגלל שהנושא מגיע לישו. כבר uh, יש כזה מחסום שלא רוצים אפילו לחשוב על זה. לא, לא רוצים uh, לפתוח את הראש, להיות... Uh, באמת, להביא לזה מחשבה קצת. זה... לא יודע, מסתכלים עליו כאילו... כן, כמו שכתוב בפסוק הזה, שדחו אותו. sometimes we sit in our little western churches in East Texas and we we forget that the facts land at Jesus they really really do this isn't a religion this is a this is a truth this is an invitation to have a relationship with God who sent his son to solve the problem of people Jesus is the answer not better families not a different political party Jesus is the answer you guys And within the body of Christ, certainly there's different ideas about doctrine and secondary things, but Jesus, as presented through the Word of God, is, is our only hope. It is interesting because as you read that, or you listen, and, and if you can't read quickly, I know that was difficult. I'll make sure we put that on our Facebook page so you can see it again. But how could any Hebrew who has read the Scriptures miss Jesus? How could anybody miss Jesus? And partly the answer is actually because you don't accept Christ as a result of argumenting of facts. This is a relationship. When you meet him personally, he changes your life. He changes everything. Um, this is a relationship that Jesus came to invite us into. You hear about him, you check him out. You realize he's worthy of trust and you turn from your sins and your own self-driven life and you give control of your life to him, which is hard, which we struggle with, giving control of our life to him because we believe that, we, that we're in control of everything but heaven and hell. And that's where Satan has us. The fact is he wants us to trust him. In fact, knowing him and being intimate with him requires trust. 
we are presently in a journey together to find out who this man really is. And it sounds funny to have a church doing that, except that I think we, I think we get it mixed up. I think we have ideas of who Jesus is, like looking at that little tiny black and white TV in the 80s that you could take to a sporting event. But man, the scriptures, if you will spend time with them, they'll open up an 85-inch screen that's high definition. It opens it up. And just as we saw the Jews in the video, the truth is, if you are not looking in the scriptures for yourself, and look, even if you can't read well, there are technology that will allow you to listen to them, and you don't have to have the Hebrew version and the Aramaic and the Greek. You can have it in a language that you understand, whether it's English or Spanish. But if you're not in the scriptures for yourself, you are relegated to doing what those Jews do, and that is only getting the part of the story that the pastor you listen to wants to tell you. That is so dangerous. One of the reasons why we emphasize verse-by-verse study here is because I can't skip the stuff I don't like, and there's plenty of stuff that I personally don't like. doesn't mean it's not right, let me be clear, but it rubs me wrong. It's difficult. I mean, I hate the fact that we're all going to hell because we're sinners. I wish we could just wave a magic wand, and he did, but you still have to accept. The blood of Christ takes the sin away. You have a book. We're so blessed to have in our hands and on our shelves. Some of us right now are reading through the Bible together, and we started January 1st. If you didn't start now, we're in numbers, and it's, it's hard. Because you're like, Leviticus, oy! I see you sound Jewish already, oy! But you get through Leviticus, and the point of Leviticus isn't so that you know how exactly to offer sacrifices, but so that you can do kind of what I did at the end and go, how could anybody keep this? Which is the point. Nobody can. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. No matter what you've been told, if you take the time to get in the Scriptures for yourself within context, if you listen to what Jesus says about himself or what those who knew him at that time, and we have their writings, those who knew him and those who walked with him, if you listen to what they say about him, You'll learn everything you need to know about who this man Jesus was and is. And let me be clear. There is a question among many today, even many who claim to be Christians, who wonder if the church hasn't hijacked the message and inflicted her own truth on Jesus, which is why we're answering the question, who is this man? Because even in the ministry of Jesus, his disciples asked that question, and we'll get to that story in a few years. It was a joke. Thanks for picking that up. Let's, uh, let's pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, thank you that your message is continuing to be trans, uh, sent across the globe. We thank you for the mother church in Jerusalem that continues to preach the gospel. We thank you for those people in the video, and we pray that they would be saved having heard your word. And I pray, Father, that you would save us if we don't know you in this room or watching on the internet. Today may it be the day of salvation. And for the rest of us, a great majority of us, may we be reminded today why we followed you in the first place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, the next day, and I'm going to move quickly this morning. John chapter 1, 29 says, the next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, look, there he is, and he points at him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about. He's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So John is speaking to a crowd, and it tells us in this text that the day before, 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders had sent servants to argue with John because they're starting to think that maybe he is the Messiah or a prophet. So they're trying to figure out who John is, and they send these people. And John is saying, I'm not him. One is coming after me that is greater. And he hasn't seen Jesus for at least 40 days. John's been out there preaching, and he's been out there baptizing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks into that crowd after being away from John for 40 days. How can I say that? How do I know he was with them before? But Because it tells us in other texts, and we've already read this, that Jesus was in the crowd. And, and John had said, someone in the crowd is greater. But what's interesting is John didn't apparently know who that one was. Follow me in this. So as Jesus walks into the crowd that day and he's, he's preaching, he points him out, look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God that's going to remove the sin of the world. He is the one who not only will cover, cover your sin, but will remove it. He, Yeshua, Jesus, is so much greater than I am. He's so much greater than me. For before I was even born... That, my younger relative, and remember, Jesus is John the baptizer's relative. We don't know what the relationship was. They're just related. I'm sorry, the King James says cousin. The Greek word doesn't say cousin. It could be cousin. could be a first cousin. could be a fourth cousin. could be something else, but they're related somehow. Not necessarily even close relatives, but they are related. And John says this amazing thing. He points Yeshua out and says, that guy right there, my younger whatever... He's the Lamb of God. That must have been crazy. Pay attention to what John says here in verse 31, though, Bible student. He says, I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. There's been questions in our study, and and, and I I want to encourage you in this study. You're supposed to be perplexed by the (laughs) God-man. We're asking questions in our Bible study group going, how could he tell his mother that he's supposed to remain with his father in the temple and yet follow her back to Nazareth? How can Jesus do that? Or or how does Jesus not, those questions, what does it mean that he puts his, uh, his divine privileges aside? Those are the right questions. And we've pretended for too long to have answers to those questions. The truth is we get together in a room and, and we have an angle here and we have an angle here and we bring it together and we all leave going, isn't he great? I, I, was, I was sharing with Barbara Haley this morning. It has been so long, and yes, I, I find Jesus awesome, and yes, I worship him, and yes, I do all that. But this has been such a fun study for me because I find myself perplexed by him again, which is exactly how we should be. We should be perplexed by him. The moment you think you have Jesus figured out, you have placed yourself in the position of the Trinity. He is, un, he is the omniscient one who emptied himself of his omniscience, all-knowing. Somehow as an infant, he didn't know everything. And he tells us later in his life, only my father knows the, t- the time when, when, when he's going to return or he's going to set up the kingdom. Only the father knows. How can the omniscient Jesus not know everything? I don't know. That's the question. But it should draw you to worship. I want to remind you what we do know. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We have pretended for so long that we got it all figured out. Let me be clear. As a guy who's been preaching this for 33 years and spent seven years in seminary and Bible school, we have no idea of what we think we know. We have people in this church that are Arminian. We have people in this church that are Calvinists. And I got to tell you, it's been going on for a thousand years. People have killed each other over that. Do you know why it's so controversial? Because it says, whosoever will may come. And it also says, chosen before the foundation of the world. Maybe God doesn't want us to know everything. Maybe God wants us to trust him and stand back and go, who are you that you would save us? 
And that isn't new. Because in our brains, we sort of thought that John the baptizer all knew Jesus, everything about him. We don't know. You know, the question that's been asked the last few weeks in this church is, do you think John and Jesus grew up together and, and, and they, they hung out together? We have no way of knowing that. They didn't grow up in the same towns. Remember, Mary had to go to, to be away to be with Elizabeth. We don't know. But it gives you the idea that he knew him. Uh, maybe the, the inkling. Who knows? It's not a truth to die for. But boy, he certainly did not know that the Jesus he knew in the crowd, Yeshua, he had no idea that was the Messiah. How about that fact? That's kind of weird. And he says, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. In other words, I didn't even know he was the one that needed to be revealed to Israel. I've been preaching about him, but he's the one. Here's what we do know. They grew up in different regions. John was, is between three months and six months older than Jesus, and they're related. And John clearly says that he didn't know Jesus was the Messiah until verse 32. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me. Now you know something about John. John the prophet actually had conversations with the Father, and this is what he told him. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one uh, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So let me play this out for you. When John baptizes Jesus, and Jesus comes to John and says, hey, I want you to baptize me, and John says, I, you should be baptizing me. You're greater than me. John knew he was greater, but he had no idea at that moment that he was Messiah. So he baptizes him. As he comes up out of the water, Jesus is leaving, and the Holy Spirit ascends like a dove in the way a dove descends and rested on him, set on him. That's when John went, holy cow. He's not Hindu. That's Mark. Holy cow. That guy's God. That's when it happened. I know that's crazy, but there's these little tiny details as you read in context that stand out to you, and you walk away going, wow, John probably knew Jesus. He knew he was in the crowd, but he had no idea that that three- to six-month younger cousin or whatever he is is actually the Messiah. He didn't have a clue. How cool is that? Well, Pastor Mark, you're awful excited about that. Why? Because nobody ever has a clue about God. You're not alone. You're not alone in your perplexity and your confusion what you know is he is the only answer. And I want to point out as we go through the story together of Jesus, through the Gospels in context, how many times the disciples look at him and go, what is he talking about? I mean, these guys, they, they come across rude at times, but I actually think they're frustrated, just like you. How many times have you prayed for God to do something? You're sure is his will, and he doesn't do it, and you kind of go, come on. That's how they felt. You know, the one time in Scripture that they're actually going to say that we understand what he's saying is when they're on the way to Jerusalem after three and a half years of being with him. They're on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus says, I must die, but three days later I will rise. And you're going to see that they look at each other and says, finally, he's talking plainly. And they were perplexed. And so was John. He was preaching about the coming Messiah. He knew it would be in his lifetime. He's making clear the way. But he didn't know he was the one, verse 33 says. He didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one that, who, uh, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So now I testify that he's the chosen one of God. God told John to watch out for the Holy Spirit to descend and rest on him, on the Messiah. Imagine what he thought when he saw that. 
whoa, it's my cousin or whatever. After Jesus' baptism, and as that taught us last week, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for a little over a month, about 40 days, and then he's ministered to by angels, and John continues to preach about him. And on this day, as John is preaching and baptizing, Jesus walks into the crowd and he goes, there he is. The first time he points him out and says, that's the one. That's the one you're looking for. Now John knows who he really is and he declares him as God's lamb that could remove their sin. So to review, according to this text, John didn't know who the Messiah was despite preaching about him. Then he discovers who the Messiah is because God confirms it. And then he testifies about him because he's been changed. He testifies. And you want to know how serious John is about Jesus, about the message? And I want you to compare this to a lot of preachers you've heard in your life. Verse 35, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by. Picture that. He's, he's humming <laughs> a little Jewish tune. Okay, you're sleeping, but it's all right. Your kids are coming back from camp. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and he declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. So he does it again. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed him. They followed him. That's what a true preacher of God does. You send people to Jesus. Even if it means your flock is smaller, you send people to Jesus. I love this sign. I love this sign because when you walk into the worship center of Carpenter's Way, there's no question what we're going to talk about. And I pray that we do that forever until the return of the Lord. All this other stuff that we talk about in the church will not save your soul. It won't even give you hope. It'll only make you work harder. Is anybody else tired of reading on Facebook what else I need to do to be a better human? I mean, I, I just get tired of people pointing out my flaws. I want to be clear. I'm going to get a sign that says I'm everything Facebook says I should not be. It's true, but God through Jesus makes me everything he wants me to be. He is the answer, not the Baptist church. The Baptist church can't even keep their priests and Sundays, their pastors and their Sunday school teachers from having sex with the kids. Amen. God help us. And I'd like to say something about that. Because we are a Southern Baptist affiliated church. If you read the article in the Lovekin Times and Houston, they're right. We are guilty as guilty as the Catholic Church. And the reason it happened is because we've tolerated sin in our flocks. It looks like a little white lie or a bad attitude, but when sin isn't confronted, it grows and grows and grows until we have to protect our reputation. If you have sex with an underage kid, I'll be the first to call the police. Don't do it here. We are here to protect each other. If you beat your wife and we find out about it, we'll call the police or send the elders. One of the two. We're in East Texas. That was a joke. Lighten up. I know that's intense. But it's been going on too long. We are, be, we are to be people of the Word of God and of God Himself, and that's it. We can debate Calvinism and, Bar, uh, and Arminian. We can debate all these other things, but we will never debate the authority of the Word of God and who Jesus is. And if we stick with that, we will protect ourselves and each other. We've got to get back to God and his word, you guys. We've wandered away from it. We have trifled with God like David did the Ark of the Covenant when he put it on the Ark. And we are being called back to holiness. You do not need to protect the Southern Baptist Church. When somebody says, aren't you Southern Baptist? You say, sort of, just in the mission venture. And we are, should be ashamed of ourselves. 
We should be ashamed of ourselves on our view on slavery in the uh, 17 and 1800s, and we should be ashamed of ourselves, the abuse we've allowed to happen within our congregations. Amen? Amen. Let's never let it happen here. You see something funny? Don't say something. Confront it. Deal with it. Our job is not to protect Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Our job is to promote him, even if it shrinks us. Just keep giving. John the, ba <laughs> John the Baptist does the deal. He does the deal. Two of his boys that he's hanging out with, they see Jesus and John goes, hey, there's the Lamb of God. I've been preaching to you about him. And he is so effective. He watches them leave. How cool is that? How cool is that? Man. Verse 38. As Jesus is walking, now they're following. Jesus looked around and he sees them following. And I love it. I love Jesus' snarkiness. What do you want? He asked them. Okay, that's my inflection. I wish I could do a better Hebrew accent. Yo, I can't. That's, that's <laughs> never mind. What do you want, he asked. What is cool is in the Greek, this sentence is, this, this Greek phrase actually is unique. It's very rarely seen. John uses this phraseology several times in his gospel, and it's really not seen anywhere else. It actually asks two questions. He says, why are you following me right now is one of the questions. But the other question is, what do you want out of life? What do you really want? Why are you checking me out? Because that's what they're doing, right? I mean, they're checking Jesus out. John says, there's the Lamb of God. And they're like, well, we've been looking for the Lamb of God. Let's go follow him. Let's see what he does. And you get the sense that they're like 10 feet behind him and they're just following him. And Jesus, like he's going to do a lot of times, is going to turn around like the woman with the issue of blood. He's going to turn around and say, what is it you want? And he's asking them, why are you following me? But what is it you want? And that is the question. What do you want that's the question. What do you really, really seek above all else? The ultimate deep dive question Jesus asked these two followers of John. Why are you having an affair? You know, the problem with having an affair is when it ends, you think you fixed your life. If you haven't gotten right with God, you've only stopped having an affair. There's a reason for it. Why are you seeking truth? Some of you are watching on the internet every week. Why do you log in? Why are you here in this room? When was the last time you asked that question without the simple answer? Because I grew up this way. When, why are you here? Why do you open the word of God? Why are you so angry? Not all of you, but just a question. Why are you so easily ticked off when tea is spilt on your table or a cop pulls you over for speeding, which you're doing? Why are we so easily upset? What does that say about us? Why have you committed your life to saving the whales? Why? Give me an answer. Millennials, tell us why you're committed to what you're committed to. I love that you're committed, but why are you committed to getting rid of straws in the ocean? Why? Because it's bad. That's not an answer. What is it in you that says, I'm going to spend my life getting paper straws that don't work? Just don't use straws. If you own a restaurant, don't give me a paper straw. It lasts 10 one hundredths of a second. That's how long it lasts. It does fold. and it, I, I think I'm a violent straw user. I, I just, why? Why do you do what you do? Why is what you, what you do so important to you? Why? That's what he's asking these guys. Why are you following me? What is it you want? They replied, 
Rabbi. In case you're not clear, that's like we know you're the teacher. We know you're the teacher. You're going to see several times people call Jesus Rabbi while he's there following him or asking him questions. And he's going to say, why do you call me Rabbi? But anyway, let me answer your question. Because that is a respectful term. They're identifying him as the one with answers. So immediately they answer because we know truth comes from you. We know that you're smart. We don't know who you are necessarily, but we know that John, our leader, says that we should look at you. So we're listening to you. He replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And I love his answer. It's also this, a weird, unique phraseology. He says, come and see. And yes, it answers two questions. Come and see where I'm sleeping. Come and see where I'm staying. And secondly, come find out who I am. You see, Jesus isn't afraid of you investigating. Jesus isn't afraid of you looking. Jesus isn't afraid of the deep dive. He's not afraid of you asking questions. It tells us then that it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Do you know why John tells us that? Because they had a conversation. And what do you think they talked about that afternoon? Everything is the answer. Everything. It doesn't even need to be recorded for us because it tells us how the conversation that afternoon impacted them. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And what does he do after this afternoon conversation? Andrew went to find his brother Simon. He tells him, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. We found the one we've been looking for. Do you think Andrew and Simon, who you know as Peter, have been talking about it? I gotta find the Messiah. Peter was a loudmouth, sinful guy. You think he was looking for somebody to take his sin away? You better believe it. Peter probably represents most of us in this room. We talk too much before we think. It's an incredible thing. So Andrew goes, you want to know, uh, the conversation impacted him, spending time with Jesus. Andrew runs to Simon and says, I found him. I found him, Peter. I, or Simon, I found him. I found him. Verse 42, then Andrew saw, brought Simon to meet Jesus. Come, come here. Well, who is he? How do you know he's in? I, I can't answer those questions. Simon, just come with me. Come with me. Let me show you. Let me show you Jesus. Let me introduce you to this guy that I believe is the Messiah. So Andrew brings Simon to Jesus, looking intently at Simon. This is the first thing said. Jesus said, your name's Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. <laughs> I know that doesn't crack you up, but you think Jesus is in charge? My little Arminian friend? You think Jesus is in charge? Before a conversation, he says, you know what? You know what? I have a wonderful plan for your life. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you Little Rock because you are going to be the apostle, the apostle to the Jews, which is what Acts calls him. That's the Catholic thing. I don't know if Jesus was Catholic or not. I'm just doing it. It looks religious. I'm going to change your name. You're going to be Peter, and you're going to be the Little Rock. I'm going to be the Big Rock. You're going to be the Little Rock. We'll get into that later. That will rock your world, <laughs> pun intended. You're going to be the Little Rock. And you're going to be the main spokesman for the disciples. So you're going to be the apostle to the Jews. You're going to be the main spokesman to the disciples. Oh, and by the way, you're going to die on the cross upside down. More on that after I rise from the dead. There's only three of you that get that joke. Because it's part of the story we never tell. Remember when Jesus and Peter are sitting at breakfast 
and, and they're eating, and Jesus says, let's take a walk. And you know the part, because he says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, then feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, then feed my sheep. And it says that they go on talking. Remember the next conversation? It tells us that Jesus went on to tell Peter how he must die. And do you remember Peter's response? How's John going to die? And Jesus says, mind your own business. It's up to me how he dies. But I mean, Jesus takes over. He tells them, you don't get to choose what to wear anymore. You don't get to choose where to lay your head. It's all been laid out for you, my little brother. All because you came walking into the room that day. Jesus calls him to himself. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decides to go to Galilee. And he finds Philip, and he says to him, hey, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. What did Philip discover while following Jesus? Please understand that Jesus didn't get an altar call, and he doesn't say, I want you to confess me as your Lord. I just want you to follow me. Because God's not afraid of you checking him out. He's not afraid of you asking tough questions. He's not even afraid of you wrestling with him, believers. God's not afraid of the truth. We're afraid of the truth. We're afraid of being disappointed by what he has for us. He's not, because he's got a great plan. And he's the Alpha and the Omega, and he's got the beginning and the end figured out. And if you die of cancer, you live even if you die, because he's the resurrection and the life. We forget that. Though we starve, we are more well-fed than any man or woman or child has ever been fed by human food. He is our hope when there is no hope. He is our confidence when we're weak. In fact, in our weakness, he's made strong. He is the one we've been looking for. He finds Philip. He says, come follow me. After following him for a while, we have no idea how long Philip went to look for Nathaniel. And he tells him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Yeshua. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, said, Na said Nathaniel. I love this. One of my favorite parts of Scripture. I know I say that every week, and that's because every week I think it is my favorite part of Scripture. I want you to pay attention here because this could change your life. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? To be clear, that's profiling. It's profiling. Not only that, it's good old-fashioned prejudice. It's what it is. It's always been around even in the, in the hearts of those who God will call to follow himself. It's not the unforgivable sin, but it does make you look stupid. But it's all over the New Testament. Prejudice is ugly, but even if you are a prejudiced jerk, God still calls you to himself. How good is our God? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. So Nathaniel's like, I'm not going to waste my time on some Nazarene. Look, don't believe me. You've got to see this guy. You've got to come hang out with him. And what did Nathaniel discover after going and seeing Jesus? As they approached, Jesus said, Now there is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Does Jesus have a sense of humor or what? 
This guy is mocking Jesus because he's from an ugly little hometown that Jesus willingly went to instead of staying in the tabernacle or temple, which Nathaniel would have certainly thought was a great resume builder. But he's he's from this little town, and Jesus, and I think kind of snarky, goes, now there's a guy who's got integrity. There's a guy who's genuinely searching for whatever God has. And by the way, dude, have you ever read Isaiah? It says that I'm nothing. I'm nothing to look at. Are you surprised? I love this. I can't be sure. I believe Jesus is sincere, but I also think that Jesus is tongue-in-cheek and slapping this guy because he knew what he was thinking. How do you know about me? Verse 48, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip found you. (gasps) After wetting himself, Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Nice move, little man. Nice move. Touche. Nice way to step back and go, maybe this would be a good time not to be dogging the king of the universe. And what does Jesus say to Nathaniel and these new followers? Jesus asked him, do you believe this because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? Oh, you're going to see greater things than that. And this is where most messages end, because at this time we go, they're going to see him raise the dead and all that. But that's not what Jesus says here. Listen to the great thing they're going to see. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You all will all see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Those of us in the 80s, Led Zeppelin's song comes from here, Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) Only it wasn't out in the middle of the wilderness. It was Jesus. Do you know what he's saying here? He's not saying, I'm going to do some pretty cool supernatural stuff. What he's saying is, I'm going to mediate between heaven and earth, between angels and man, between my father and fallen sinners. I'm going to mediate. Watch this. You think that's cool, Nathaniel? That I I knew where you were when you were studying the scriptures under that fig tree that didn't have any figs, but on the left side, and you had all the, you know, I mean, he, watch this. Hold my beer. I'm going to apologize only once for saying that this week, but it is what Jesus does over and over and over again. Every time we think we're great, every time we show up, every time the disciples think that they can solve Jesus' problems and improve his ministry, Jesus goes, stand back. Stand back. You think that was impressive? Simply because I told you, you watch. And this plays itself out because the name of this series came from when Jesus calms the storm as he's asleep in the, in the front of the boat and he calms the storm and the disciples have all fallen to the back of the boat on top of each other and they whisper in this pile of manness, who is this guy? We have misjudged him. And so has the world. And so has the church. He was not sleeping three weeks ago when New York got stupid or evil. He's not sleeping when Virginia is going that direction and they talk about killing babies outside of the womb. He is not sleeping when Trump became president. He's not sleeping when Pelosi got the gavel back. He's not sleeping when you got cancer. He's not sleeping. He's not asleep. He's God. Jehovah God. And one of the scariest things to me is I think we've stopped spending time with him. So we've forgotten who he is. Louise, will you put up Revelation 2, 1 to 4 up there, please? This is a warning for us. Jesus wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus that I think of all the churches reflects probably the evangelical church in America today the most. 
Write this letter to the angel, the pastor is actually what it should be translated, in my opinion, to the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. It's Jesus. I I'm not gonna, don't have time to get into that, but he identifies himself earlier as Jesus. Keep going. I know Jesus is writing to the church of Ephesus. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You've even discovered that they're liars. And boy, with that resume, they're patting each other on the back. It gets better. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I do have one complaint against you. Most of you read English very well. Read that last sentence and just think about it. Doctrine is good. Expectations and accountability of teachers, check. Mission work, phenomenal. Suffering and dying for Christ, excellent. I just have one small problem with you. You don't love me anymore. What happens if we fall in love with the church more than Jesus? Or the Bible Belt, or tradition, or culture? Or our pain? What happens when we fall in love with ourselves in the name of Jesus and we no longer love Jesus? Do you remember when you found out that Jesus, the one that's in the Bible, was the one you had been looking for? I want you to think back and remember in your mind's eye, when was that day that you went, I need him? When was the day that you couldn't help but tell everybody you saw and knew that you had found him? Come see, I don't have all the answers. I, I, don't, I don't know all the answers to the question. All I know is this guy has changed my life. Jesus is the answer to the questions I have. And the questions he's not answering, I'm going to trust him with. Do you remember that day? Run back there. Run back to Jesus, family. Don't run to the Baptist church. Don't run to the Assemblies of God church. Don't run to a worship experience. Don't run to your favorite author. Don't run to your favorite preacher. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because he's the only one that can solve what ails you. And if you don't know him today, you may be one of those going, Jesus didn't say the things about him that the church says today. All I can tell you is every time one of these guys who are pretty powerful players, okay, especially John the Baptizer, he could have created his own religion. In fact, he'll fight with them the rest of his life, and then Paul will fight with them. That's a discussion for a later day. The followers of John, most of them do not follow Jesus. They like John's teaching. It becomes a religion. And John over and over says, you've got to go be with him. I need to reduce, and he needs to get bigger in your life. You know that teaching. Well, I'm simply here to tell you, look at the reaction of his contemporaries. Nathaniel actually allows himself to be recorded in history as a prejudiced jerk. He's one of John's friends. Do you know why they do that? because they want you to know that they're not the answer. Jesus is. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you seeking forgiveness? If you confess with your mouth, I'll forgive your sin. He'll forgive you. He'll adopt you. He will baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit and you will never be the same.
Christians, do you remember when like Peter and Nathaniel and John the baptizer, do you remember when you realized this is the one you've been waiting for? Get back there. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we love the church. We love the, the moral norms that are found in the church. We like the music of the church. We are entertained by the preachers and the writers of the church. And I believe that Satan has used that to distract us from you. So today we are reminded to follow you. And as I follow you, and these men and women follow you, we will be walking together, and that is the church. For those watching online or here in this room that do not know you as their Savior, you said that today is the day of salvation. So may they run to you and be forgiven of their sins. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. If you don't know him this morning or you want us to pray with you, I'll be up here. I'd love to pray with you. Bible study is going to start and continue this conversation in 10 minutes. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Next Sunday is going to be special. Be here.